The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Tuesday morning, the 10th of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The government is meeting to sign off on Budget 24, which will be announced at 1 o'clock this afternoon. That's when the Minister for Finance will take to his feet and deliver what will be Michael McGrath's first budget speech. Notably, it is also marks the first time in 13 years that a Fianna Fáil minister will take the helm for this announcement as has become usual in recent years, this budget will unfold in two acts. Following Minister McGrath's address, we'll have the Minister for Public Expenditure Pascal Donoghue unveiling the government's spending plans for the coming year. Now, what can we expect from Budget 24? Well, a substantial €6.4 billion package is on the table with over €2.3 billion allocated to temporary supports aimed at helping households and businesses cope with the rising cost of living. This includes enhancements to welfare payments, assistance with energy bills and extensions to excise duty cuts on petrol and diesel. But that's not all. A tax package worth £1.1 is also anticipated and the budget won't be officially announced until 1 o'clock, but we can get the inside track now. Our political correspondent Sean Defoe is on the line to talk us through some of the detail. Good morning to you, Sean. Thanks for joining. Has everything been agreed by the government at this stage? Pretty much. The the talks went fairly late last night, particularly around the social welfare budget, which has become pretty typical in the last couple of years. And the the only other area we haven't really heard everything out of is the, the health budget, where obviously those overruns are uh, pretty sticky. Uh, more than 1.1 billion euro. It looks like it's going to be around a 2 billion euro package, extra money for the health department this year in order to deal with those overruns and sort of future-proof against next year. But it all goes into Cabinet this morning and has to be signed off on. So we are at that that finishing point, and while it may have been agreed behind the scenes, there's a couple of little bits still to come out, but the the broad swathe of it in in terms of detail we have. All right, a busy day, obviously, for the politicians and other people like yourself in Leinster House uh, covering uh, the budget uh, announcements, but a a busy day as well for uh, Angarda Siakana, I take it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and particularly, I think this year's uh, protection of Leinster House has been coloured by the scenes we saw a few weeks ago when there were those uh, quite aggressive and quite, uh, uh, you know, disturbing protests outside of Leinster House when a noose was brought up there. Most streets around Leinster House are closed off. And this is pretty typical fare, to be honest with you, for a budget day. It's what they have done for years. The uh, precautions that were in place during the bust when there were much more significant protests uh, have held through. And over the last few years, the protests haven't been that big or that significant, although they are sort of a bit more on alert this year for, for maybe something a little bit more. And there will be the, the, the usual groups who do show up uh, quite peacefully to make their point. Uh, and then I suppose the, the question is whether there will be another element there today. All right. Uh, and as for the activity inside the House, uh, there's a, a lot to get through. But as you say, a lot of it has been decided with agreement late last night on the welfare package. Uh, those who are in receipt of welfare are to receive a €12 euro increase, is it? 
Yeah, that was the final number agreed. So €12, Euro, same as last year, which is uh, quite a significant uh, increase, although won't be won't be exactly what the, a lot of the lobby groups were looking for. Um, so €12 Euro across the board on those social welfare payments, there is going to be uh, two sort of lump sum double payments, one in Christmas and one in January to help those lower income households through the winter. There will be a double lump sum child benefit payment, €280, Euro, and then uh, another um, another six sort of once-off payments in, in similar in line to what was there last year. So €200 Euro if you're on the living alone allowance, €400 Euro carer support grant, €400 Euro disability support grant, €400 Euro working family payment, €300 Euro once-off payment on the fuel allowance and €100 Euro on the qualified child bonus. So uh, quite a lot of the, the once-off measures that were there last year being repeated to a very similar level to what they were, if not quite the exact same. I take it it'll be a good budget, will it not, for working parents uh, because we're to have more cuts to welfare uh, as well as the tax cuts that everybody will be hoping for uh, and uh, that double child benefit payment. Yeah, you get the double child benefit payment. There also will be the tax changes. So if you are earning in around 50 grand, you're probably going to be about 800 euro better off because of these uh, tweaks to the, the USC and the tax plan. So what's going to happen is the 4 and 5% of USC is going to be reduced to 4% while the uh, entry point for the, the 2% or 2.5% rate uh, is going to be brought up. And then the point at which people pay that higher rate of tax is going to increase from 40,000 to 42,000. So that's a portion of your income you're not are paying the 40%. On. There's also the childcare package, and there have been a lot of talk about this because Roger Gorman in particular had been uh, seemingly rowing back on this commitment to 25% cut that he had made last year. He has secured a 25% cut to the cost of childcare, but it isn't going to take effect until September of 2024. So it's going to be a little bit later that, that it will kick in. It'll kick in for that academic year starting September 2024 rather than the, uh, this year or in January as might have been envisioned. But after that, he will have fulfilled that promise of, a, of overall 50% cut uh, based on the figures in 2021. Okay, what about housing? Uh, that uh, will be one of uh, the big demands on government undoubtedly over the course of the next year as it has been over the course of the last 15 years. We continue to be in a a crisis. What can we expect uh, to hear today uh, in terms of how the government hopes to alleviate that crisis? So so a couple of measures that are going to impact people's pockets straight away. One is the rental tax credit. That's going to be increased from €500 to €750. I'll be interested to see whether the the, the qualifying criteria for it changes because obviously we know the uptake hasn't hasn't been massive on that particular relief. Mortgage interest relief for certain people, up to about €1,250 a year is going to be on the cards. These would be people who will be on trackers and variable mortgages who have seen their, their rate hikes. So the government will pay a portion of that increase in their uh, cost. And you're also going to see some tax benefits to landlords worth between €600 and uh, €1,000 a year based on whether or not they stay in the market. So a couple of things there, probably not going as far as the landlords have been looking for in terms of a straight tax break, but but something there. And there will also be uh, increased spending in the housing budget as well overall. But the uh, people I'm talking to in housing keep stress, look, money isn't the issue here when it comes to the building of housing. A lot of that money's in built into the system already. Okay, and uh, it's finding the properties. Uh, there's a lot of vacant properties. Uh, for those who own vacant properties, uh, this could cost them dearly uh, with significant hikes anticipated in uh, the vacant homes tax. Yeah, this is a tax that's been quite criticised in the Dáil, basically, because, all right, the idea of it is there and it's pretty well supported across the Dáil, but the amount of exemptions that are there are, are quite high. Uh, and so we may see some tweaks to that and some tweaks to the amounts 
of that that's only due to come in really in the, in the coming months anyway so we haven't really seen what the broad impact of that would be I imagine change today is going to be pretty minimal but there has been criticism across the door because you need to bring more people into that net for it to be effective rather than having a list, a long list of reasons you can get out of paying it. Okay. Uh, what about uh, the mortgage interest relief uh, that you mentioned? Uh, will that at all be controversial given that uh, the people uh, who will benefit from this will be those who really had it good uh, whilst the rest of us looked on in envy uh, at uh, those who were on those very low tracker rates? Uh, fair enough, they've increased now, but uh, surely you take the good with the bad. Yeah, I'm sure there will be people who look on saying, God, this is a bit unfair and my, my fixed rate has gone up to, you know, if you if you have renewed your fixed rate in any time in the last year, you've probably nearly doubled in some cases up to that. But the government basically didn't want to get fully involved in the, the mortgage interest lease sector again, having pulled out of it only a few years ago, wanted very targeted relief. Uh, and there are people who've seen, an, you know, an absolutely insane jump in the cost of their mortgages. And you can, of course, uh, in many cases, switch off a tracker or switch off a variable rate to more fixed rates and that's what ministers had been urging people to do. But there are also cases uh, where people can't do that. And there are cases, for example, where people have been caught by vulture funds and they're not able to, to switch out of them at the moment due to no fault of their own. So that's more who they're targeting and they're trying to target people who, because of this change uh, in their in their rate, in that tracker or variable rate, are now in genuine risk of losing their home, even if they did have it maybe good by comparison to the rest of us for, for a number OK, and uh, the rate that landlords pay tax at will be 20% uh, for the first €3,000 of income, I think it's expected next year, and that will increase over the next couple of years as well. Yeah, basically, it'll be tied to staying in the market. If you stay in the market and you have a track record there, then you will be able to, to increase that relief and, and get a, a better portion on it. Uh, one of the more... I suppose controversial measures in the budget because a lot of the opposition parties in particular said there shouldn't be any sort of a tax treatment or tax benefit to landlords. Once you do that, you are basically saying that one kind of income is more valuable or better than another in the market. So this is sort of a halfway house, I suppose, the government has landed on between doing nothing towards keeping landlords or small landlords in particular in the market and not rewarding the, the really bigger ones who could benefit massively from that, but also you know, recognising that maybe there needs to be something done to stop that, that, that exodus that we've seen over the last few years. Okay, I take it there'll be more Gardaí, better paid Gardaí, more overtime and uh, an increase in the allowance for recruits for that matter. Yeah, up to about a thousand extra Gardaí announced. Now, obviously, take that with a pinch of salt because that doesn't mean there's going to be a, an extra thousand Gardaí between retirements and, and all the rest of it. People leaving the force, the increase in the trainee Gardaí scheme is quite welcome 66% increase in their training allowance from budget day that's going to rise to 305 a week from the current 184 to encourage more people to, to get on in uh, as you say between 800 and 1000 Gardaí and an interesting one in the finance budget criminal legal aid is going to rise by 10% at a cost of 9 million this is after the barristers uh, went on strike the first time the barristers ever gone on an effective strike last week in history because their the legal fees uh, haven't changed and haven't been restored since the crisis and they say they're still operating on the fees that they had in 2001. OK, uh, education. Uh, there's to be uh, good news, uh, I think, uh, for parents of secondary school children. Up to junior cert, at least. Uh, free, the free school book scheme that was brought in last year for primary school is going to be extended up to junior cert. And that's going to include more than just books, going to include the likes of calculators and copy books as well. So quite a welcome one for a lot of people. That's a huge expense. Government looked at and wanted to go the full way but basically couldn't find the money in this year's budget so I'd say what you will see is it goes up to junior cert this year and then they'll look for the money to bring it up to leaving cert cycle but I know for a lot of people certainly that's a, that's an awful lot of books an awful lot more books mm. even than a primary school to be funding so I'd say that's, that's one that will be particularly welcome
And a reduction in third level fees, at least for a lot of students. Yeah, so if you're in a household earning less than uh, 100 grand, there is going to be uh, a 1,500 euro reduction in those uh, fees. So that is a particularly welcome one, one part of the... Uh, Simon Harris's measures to bring it down. So on top of the 500 euro cut announced in last year's budget, undergrad, undergraduate fees halved to 1,500 euro for this year's coming academic year. Uh, all other families, so if you are um, have an income of more than 100 grand, the college fees for students will be cut by 1,000 euro. Uh, so that's kind of a, a wider package of reform that's underway. Okay, what about public transport? Uh, there'll be a further cut to fees, will there, or to uh, the cost of transport? So more of an extension to the existing cut. So obviously last year they brought in this young person's cut to the cost of transport and that was effectively 50% off. That's now being extended up. So you're now a young person if you're under 25 rather than under 23. Isn't that uh, great news? But it is good news then because it means it's effective 50% cut and transport has been extended up in a couple of age grades and then that 20% overall cut uh, is also being kept. So overall transport remains a bit cheaper and if you're a a 24-year-old, for example, it's quite a bit cheaper. Okay, so we're spending a lot of money but we're also going to put a lot of money away, are we not? Yeah, a couple of different savings funds here. So one is this investment fund that Michael McGrath has wanted to set up. There is a significant amount of money going into that. And then also the Green Investment Vehicle Fund uh, as well, which is going to be set up to to have, I think, €3 billion Euro in it to be spent over the rest of the course of this decade on things like uh, district heating, but also other environmental pro- uh, projects throughout the decade. So the government's saying, look, the corporation tax boom might be over. We might be seeing the very tail end of it this year, but this is where we're putting it. They're going to be a bit prudent with it, put it into an investment vehicle it's going to be invested in then every year to build up so that in the future, like a sort of Norwegian model, we have this way of paying for uh, the ageing population, increasing social welfare rates or increasing pension demands, whatever it is, and then also money into this new green transition fund as well. All right. Well, all will be revealed uh, if there's anything left for us to learn at this stage at one o'clock today. Sean, thank you so much uh, for all of uh, that detail. Our political correspondent, Sean Defoe. Now, if you'd like to make comment on the programme today, if you like what you're hearing or if you don't like what you're hearing or if there's something else that hasn't been mentioned that you hope to be hearing, let us know. 0419832000, our telephone number, text or WhatsApp 0861800658, email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Air Grid has written to local landlords or landowners, I beg your pardon, to update them on uh, the construction of the North-South Interconnector, which they say should be completed in the next three years. They also say that Air Grid's Agricultural Liaison Officer will shortly visit all landowners to discuss compensation uh, as part of a landowner pack, which is uh, to be posted out uh, to local farmers and landowners uh, for that uh, matter. This comes as somewhat of a a shock to the group uh, that's been campaigning against uh, this project and and Porrick O'Reilly, spokesperson for the North East Pyland Pressure Campaign Group, uh, is on the line. A very good morning to you, Porrick, and thanks for joining us. Uh, I think these letters came as a a surprise, as I say, to you, but you also say that they're in breach of a commitment that you have from Airgrid. Good morning, Michael. Yeah, um, um, in relation to the process that has been in place for at least 10 years now, um, the vast majority of landowners have uh, signed a form of authority, as is known as requesting us, NEPP, to represent them in all matters related to the North-South Interconnector. And they have made it very clear that they do not want to be contacted 
uh, or visited by air grid um, uh, under any circumstance and everything should go through us. So they've been contacted um, directly, which is in breach of that, and the letter uh, says uh, that they'll be visited very shortly. Exactly, Michael. So um, in in the past, uh, that letter or letters uh, to that effect would have come to NEPP and we would have distributed to the farmers and uh, Airgrid's senior solicitors and legal department accepted the bona fides of those forms of authority and, and said they would respect the landowners. Uh, demands in this regard so they've totally breached that they have uh, informed uh, uh, the elected representatives and sent them a copy of the letter Mm. they've written to the landowners but they have uh, sent nothing to any PP and have basically as we see it tried to alienate us from from the process Why do you think that Uh, is? Is it because well the argument is over at this stage Uh, the battle has been fought and Airgrid has won Uh, and now it's a question of proceeding with uh, the project and going to this stage of construction Uh, and they need to get on to the land they don't need to be talking to a group campaigning against a project which is going ahead they need to be speaking to the landowners to get access uh, well, I, I would think, Michael, the argument hasn't even started. Um, uh, having planning is one thing, uh, but we have to really always bear in mind that the planning application did not seek uh, access to, to landowners' uh, uh, property. Airgrid purposely did not uh, seek uh, the access routes as part of the planning application. So they're actually only starting uh, at this point. Uh, Michael, no matter what they mm. say, they have to get access and support from farmers to enter their lands. But that's why they're but writing the to farmers, isn't it? Uh, I mean, they're calling around to discuss how much they'll pay to the farmers. Yeah, they're, they're, they're writing to the farmers in compensation. But if you think about the planning application when, when it came out in, in, in 2016, since that date, they have refused uh, to send the landowners any maps in relation to how they plan to access their lands. If you look at the website where there is a specific uh, web page in relation to the north-south interconnector, there hasn't been one word uh, in that in the last six years in relation to the farmers and how they might work, work with the farmers. There's not been a thing in those years. Now they come along offering compensation and have given no details on, on, on what's planned. So, uh, and, and you know, have to bear in mind, the landowners have been steadfast here. They do not accept the North Zone Interconnector as being needed to be overhead, and they're not going to let them onto the land. So, uh, we're really only at the start of a process, uh, Michael, rather mm. than the end. And, if and that's, uh, well, well, that's worth testing, that isn't it? Challenges. I mean, you can understand Airgrid feeling that that's worth testing. That's what you're saying uh, as a campaign group. Uh, perhaps when they go to negotiate individually with farmers, they'll find a different response. Well, they, they can test all the like, but I think uh, they should follow and respect the process that has been in place. The landowners, whether Airgrid like it or not, have requested us as, as a campaign group who have detailed knowledge of the project to represent them in all matters. Airgrid have decided in a very heavy-handed manner, you know, and, and, and for us, it's just like these bully boy tactics. They have decided they're going to go to the farmers now. They're going to visit them unannounced and without their acceptance and try and offer compensation. That's not the way you, you as a semi-state company, you should operate. And that's not the way, by the way, our elected representatives should allow them to operate. 
Mm. They could be welcomed, though, I take it, by some farmers. Of course, there's always going to be some farmers, uh, Michael. But, you know, this, as you know, this project has gone on since 2007. When we are getting forms of authority signed up in the 85% plus mark consistently for those number of years, uh, there's always going to be a few, but the vast majority are against it and will not tolerate this thing going on their lands. Mm. And nothing has changed in that front. Okay, well, what options have have you got now in front of you? AirGrid obviously is uh, going to act how it it sees uh, appropriate and will visit landowners. Uh, It'll talk about placing pylons on their land and what they'll be compensated uh, in return for allowing that to happen. Um, Is this a question of standing back and waiting to see what happens or do you intend to be proactive in some way? We intend to be extremely proactive, uh, Michael. Uh, the first thing w- we've just done is get a request clarity from AirGrid as to why they did not um, um, send this letter through NEPP, as agreed by them. Are they reneging on on their commitments to of what they told us over the last 10 years? Uh, we, w- we, will, we will await the answer on that. Uh, if that is the case, then we will be very proactive in working directly with the landowners and if they rec- if they state to us and restate to us they do not want airgrid on their land, we will be making sure that airgrid are, are not arriving unannounced in whatever shape or form that takes. Hmm. Okay, but uh, it's not uh, something uh, that you can dictate. Uh, if airgrid uh, approaches a farmer and they get an agreement, they'll just go onto the land, won't they? Uh, and no, no, Mike. They have no rights to go onto the land. If they go onto the land, with the agreement of the farmer, time, though. Uh, well, then you're down to the small percent of farmers who over the last 10 years have probably agreed already, mm. which is in single digits in, in our view. But but anybody now new that they have written to uh, who have purposely over the years told them not to go next to near them, there's going to be no change there, Mike. The, the, the challenge is not for us on this one. The challenge is for Agrid. And the way they've handled this, they've just increased the challenge by trying to uh, to to force their way onto on, onto land and to talk to farmers who don't want them next or near them. Okay, uh, I, I take it then the next step from Airgrid's uh, perspective will be compulsory purchase. Airgrid don't have the authority to compulsory purchase. Michael, this is part of the challenge they mm. have. ESB if, does, though, does if it Airgrid, not? If Airgrid or ESB had a clear run, Mike, to, to pu- compulsory purchase or construct this project, uh, they have done it a long time ago. They don't have those options. They need to bring the communities uh, along, and they can't do that with their current proposals. And and all of the headaches remain with them, not with us on that front. Okay. Parik, we leave it there for the moment. Thanks, as always, for joining us uh, today with uh, that development of AirGrid, writing to landowners, suggesting that uh, they'll come out and meet them uh, and talk uh, about how they will use land uh, for constructing pylons and how farmers will be compensated in return for that. Parik O'Reilly, spokesperson for the group against the North-South Interconnector. That's the Northeast Pylon Pressure Campaign. Michael Reed on LMFM. If you were listening to us yesterday, you'd have heard Peter Fitzpatrick on the programme talking about a 61-year-old man in Dundalk who became unemployed recently but is getting little or nothing from the state because he has a small private pension. A number of people in touch with us about that. Those comments we didn't get to. An email that came to us from Bridget, for example, who said, I'm a Louth person living in Meath and my pension was cut as well. I went to Peter Fitzpatrick and he 
went out of his way to help me. Uh, I wish there were more people like Peter in the doll. Thank you indeed, Bridget, for your email and your kind comments for that matter. Michael at lmfm.ie is our email address. Somebody else said, how was he means tested if he was paying PRSI for 40 years? Well, I suppose after nine months, uh, your job seeker's allowance runs out and that's when your means tested and the rest is irrelevant and I think that was the point that Peter was making. Mary says regarding the man's means test it sounds to me that the means test was wrong I'm a carer and I had to declare savings etc and my half rate carer's allowance wasn't touched Fergal in Louth was saying we're living in a tax state. You contribute to your country your whole life only to see those who contribute nothing reap the benefits. Thanks uh, for that, uh, Fergal. Ian, uh, on a totally different uh, subject, uh, in touch on WhatsApp yesterday saying I see a new planning permission sought to build apartments on the old railway track at Terman Abbey. Should uh, this not be kept as a cycleway or possibly a future tram line? Uh, I call on developers and planners to stall any buildings on the train line which in future may be regretted. It would also solve uh, the problem of having three-storey apartments on top of a hill overlooking residents of Terman Abbey. Thank you Ian for your message. Uh, we were talking to Bishop Kevin Doran yesterday uh, about uh, the work of the Oireachtas Committee on Assisted Dying. Mick texted saying, for God's sake Michael, the law allows killing of babies. We L ones with aches, pains and so on have no chance. Thanks uh, for that Mick and uh, to uh, anybody uh, who has been in touch with us. Indeed, uh, John in touch with us uh, today about uh, today's budget uh, and he says all the emphasis is put on the guards and everybody knows that we need many more guardie. But what about the army, the navy and the prison service. They're all on their knees uh, and no one in government seems to give a damn. Thanks John as I say. If you want to make comment 0419832000 text or WhatsApp 0861800658 email michael at lmfm.ie Now we'll stay with uh, the budget and uh, another email that comes to us uh, from Brian Rogers in Ashburn and he says Dear Michael I'm writing to share my thoughts on the upcoming budget and our existing taxation policies. I believe it's essential to discuss the concerns of individuals who, like me, work diligently and make substantial contributions to our nation's economic well-being. I hope the government will keep in mind that the cost of living does not impact on the disadvantaged only. As someone with a significant income, almost €4,000 of my hard-earned money goes in taxes every month. I am increasingly frustrated by this. It is disheartening to witness a continuous emphasis on providing assistance to people who might benefit from seeking opportunities for themselves instead of relying on handouts. I have my reservations about supporting individuals who appear to choose not to participate in the workforce and instead rely on government aid. Why don't these spongers go out and get a job? My values strongly emphasise hard work and personal responsibility and I hope for policies that encourage and reward these principles. Regarding pension increases for retired people, it is worth considering that those who had well-paid jobs made provision for their later years may already own homes, possess savings and have private pensions. 
if they exercised prudence and took responsibility for their futures when they were young, they should enjoy a comfortable retirement now without requiring the government to hand them €300 Euro a week. I'm fortunate enough to enjoy a generous income, but I work tirelessly to ensure a comfortable life for my family and myself. I hope the government recognises and acknowledges the efforts of individuals like me who contribute positively to society through hard work and dedication. Rewarding hard work and reducing taxes can stimulate economic growth and individual prosperity. Hopefully this year's budget will reflect the dedication and contributions of individuals like myself appropriately and reduce what we pay in taxes instead of focusing on how to make life better for the freeloaders who sit around doing nothing with their lives. As I say, that's an email that comes to us from Brian Rogers in Ashburn. And thank you indeed uh, for sending on those thoughts to us. Michael at lmfm.ie is our email address. Now, we'll get some other thoughts on the budget, which will be announced today. Uh, and before its announcement, let's hear what business is hoping for. This is Imelda Hurley of IBEC. Ireland is very much still um, a business location of choice for going forward. Um, but CEOs are very much pointing to what we would call capacity pressures. Um, they've been referred to today many times, but physical capital and human capital pressures can create a real issue for us in terms of long-term reputational damage for Ireland in terms of a place to do business. And we, we believe they fundamentally really need to be addressed and we need to demonstrate very effective delivery. I would say four points in terms of that delivery. Um, many of these has been touched on today, um, but we would very much see that the budget surplus very much needs to be deployed with an ambitious investment programme that deals with capacity pressures but actually deals with the whole area of social cohesion. Secondly, we believe that infrastructure and housing needs to be rapidly accelerated and further accelerated, and we would look in terms of solutions to say that the whole system in terms of planning, in terms of regulation, and indeed in terms of the public sector needs to be resourced appropriately to ensure that all of the machinery of the state can act at the same pace as the private sector is growing. Right, the thoughts of business, or at least some of them, that's Imelda Hurley of IBEC. Somebody else in touch with us saying they hope that something is done for foster families. Uh, and another text then from somebody who says they're glad to see that people on the dole are going to get another pay rise. Thank you indeed uh, for your comment. You're welcome to make comment. Our text number is 086 1-800-658. Let's get a, a different perspective uh, on what people are hoping for from today's budget. This is Nat O'Connor of Age Action Ireland now. We haven't yet considered the diversity that's going to be there in our older age population and I think that we've been perhaps missing migrant voices today in the overall conversation about where Ireland is going. Um, so would the ministers agree we need a new comprehensive new ageing strategy to help us address these issues? Secondly, um, you know, it's it's one of the pressures from ageing is the need to normalise our tax and public spending in a European context. And perhaps the COVID experience of pandemic payment also is pushing for uh, changes in our welfare system. Uh, Our level of spending on social protection is the lowest in Western Europe as a percentage of a GNI star. Um, If you say a percentage of GDP, we're 27th out of 27th. 
So we are low spenders on social protection. We're particularly low spenders, joint second lowest in the whole EU on older person social protection. So there's an issue there that we don't spend much. It's not just about our, our relatively young population. It's about the relative weakness of our pension system. Pensions, our pension system replaces just 39% of the earnings of people in their 50s. The EU average is 58 Ireland is the third lowest pension income replacement rate in the European Union. So there's a lot we need to do. Um, so whether the ministers agree there's a pressing need, as two commission reports have said, to raise PRSI to give us a tax base, a solid tax base, so we can have security of income in older age. Uh, and then the final question is that, well, you know, inflation is here to stay. Um, therefore, welfare rates need to be restored to their 2020 spending power. And do ministers agree? Um, the state pension, for example, next year will have lost €25 Euro a week relative to 2020. Uh, you need to increase the rate in today's terms by €30. Euro. Um, but that's only $0.77 cent an hour if you were to consider it as a wage increase. Is that all? <laughs> well, it won't be €30. Euro. It won't be €25. Euro. Indeed, uh, the informed reports would indicate it'll be a €12 Euro increase in pensions. That was Nat O'Connor of Age Action Ireland. What about the environment, though? Let's hear uh, some of uh, the wish list uh, that has been put forward by the environmental pillar. This is Una Duggan. 85% of Ireland's habitats are in poor condition and are therefore not delivering. This degradation means also that they're not able to help us mitigate and adapt to climate change. The European Central Bank report also says that 52% of Irish bank loans are dependent on at least one ecosystem service and are therefore exposed if habitats are degraded. This is an important point, I think, for us all to remember. Um, it was stated earlier um, in the interventions that this morning that technology deployment can help us tackle climate change, but can technology cheaply replace the free labour of pollinating insects? I don't think it can. Restoration of habitats, including flower-rich habitats, can do this for bees and other insects. We need to mitigate the risks highlighted by the ECB. That means capturing those risks in our frameworks, including in the well-being framework, um, which does not adequately address biodiversity loss uh, at the moment. It also means acknowledging hard environmental boundaries and sectoral policies should work within these boundaries and not against them, but that is what is happening now. It also means that we need a strong nature restoration law and investment funds to underpin it. European Commission impact assessment states that for every one euro spent on nature restoration, the return is between 8 and 38 euro. For coastal wetland restoration, there's a 36-fold return on investment. Ministers, I want to ask, as I know we were asked to ask questions this morning and not just talk, so I want to ask, will you support a strong EU nature restoration law that's currently being negotiated in Brussels? Will you establish a nature and climate fund to restore biodiversity on land and sea in the next budget? And will you include the risk of destruction of nature at the next NED and in the wellbeing framework? Right, that's Una Duggan of the Environmental Pillar. Our speakers were speaking at uh, the National Economic Dialogue Forum, which gave groups a chance to speak uh, to the two ministers before they announced today's budget. And there could be good news, I suppose, for the Environmental Pillar and others who are interested in climate change, uh, certainly if 
uh, the Green Party ha- has its way and it is reported that there will be a, a lot more money put towards combating climate change when the budget is announced today. But what is it you want to hear? You can let us know now. 0419832000. That's it. If you'd like to let us know. 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Yeah, just a, a few more comments coming to us. Uh, Joan in uh, Drogheda says, more money for people on the dole, more money in child benefit for unmarried mothers living rent-free uh, and without uh, uh, care in the world. Will all of this welfare encourage them to have more children? Thank you. Joan, Nancy is in Dundalk. She says she's a pensioner who struggles to make ends meet and she's hoping uh, that uh, the government will do more to help uh, with uh, the bills when the government announce uh, the budget later today. Tom, NRD, says it doesn't really matter much because uh, they might give it with one hand but they'll just as quickly take it back with the other. Thanks if you have been in touch. As I say, our number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658 that's 0861800658 if you want to text a comment to us today and we'd love to hear from you. Our email address by the way is michael at lmfm.ie Now we've been hearing over a number of months uh, what many of uh, the organisations, uh, the social partners if you like are hoping for in uh, the upcoming budget. Uh, we're going to hear from Sean Healy who's now retired from Social Justice Ireland uh, but uh, this is what he, he was saying uh, back a, a month ago or so at a meeting of the National Economic Dialogue. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm going to go to um, Sean Healy, please. Budget 24 be split in two. Um, what we mean by that is that once-off windfall gain, tax gains should be invested only in one-off infrastructure projects, but they should be accounted for separately. Now, that, what that would do is that it would leave us then to deal with the normal budget and have that presented using the regular budget process. And this would mean that the government could then ensure that regular budget expenditure is funded through recurring revenue, not dependent on the one-off, uh, uh, tax comp- uh, incomes that, that, that are there and there would be no sudden surprises on discovering a huge shortfall in, in revenue uh, whenever the tax wi- bonanza runs out. Uh, I think these two parts of the budget can then be brought together to provide the overall budget um, picture but they would ensure, doing it this way, would ensure full transparency of the budget process as well as guaranteeing there would be no surprises following a downturn in the years ahead. A second issue um, arises uh, for us from an issue that has been, and we welcome this, has been acknowledged by both the Fisher and the Minister for Finance already today, and that is that uh, people, while the the government may not have intended this, the reality is that people on welfare, on core welfare rates are poorer today than they were 12 months ago or two years ago. Um, not alone that, the gap between those on welfare and people on 100 grand widened by 199 euro uh, in budget 23. So 
what we would be arguing for is that um, there should be an increase therefore as a result because what happened last year we, we 20 euro was required in the increase to maintain the value of the welfare payment 12 was given the gap has made the difference the gap and the, the problem has grown so an increase of 25 euro in all core social welfare rates and a commitment to benchmark social welfare rates to average earnings should be part of the budget uh, uh, in October. Right, and that's uh, Sean Healy uh, talking uh, about uh, tomorrow's budget and how it should give €25 Euro to pensioners and other welfare recipients. At this stage, it's pretty clear it's going to be less than half that amount. It seems as though the increase will be €12. Euro. Will that be uh, enough for you? Or, or what do you make of that? Uh, on the idea of becoming unemployed uh, when you have a small private pension, this issue that was raised in the doll last week by Peter Fitzpatrick that we were hearing about on, on the programme yesterday. Uh, and because you've the private pension, you get very little in welfare payments. Ellen has been WhatsApping us and she says this is why young people don't want to pay into private pensions. Our, our government ministers walk away on their big pensions and they still get state pensions. Are they being means tested? It doesn't pay you to work in this country. Thanks very much indeed, Ellen, for your WhatsApp message 86 658 Well, it's going to be a big day for everybody in the country, including those people Sean Healy was talking about a moment ago who earn €100,000. Big day for everybody. Uh, budget day and uh, lots of uh, announcements uh, to watch out for. Indeed, those in business will be hoping that there'll be supports from government. Uh, I think it's being mooted that there will be special supports for small businesses. Uh, and we can hear now some of uh, the thoughts of uh, the Small Firms Association. This is Geraldine Magner. Small businesses are experiencing growth, but are constrained by rising costs and increased competitiveness. Skills and labour shortages, rising wage demands, taxes and an excess of regulations, especially due to new labour market regulations, are putting Irish small firms under severe pressure. These issues are creating a competitive disadvantage for entrepreneurs and small business owners, and they hinder startups, investment and growth. Embedding competitiveness is critical to building resilience in small business sectors across the economy. Ireland must continue to invest in the competitiveness of our smallest employers by focusing on supports for capital investment, innovation and skill development. The tax environment for small indigenous businesses should also be improved to encourage small firms and entrepreneurs to maintain, scale and grow their businesses and to help staff retention and attraction. 2023 has been a considerably challenging year for small business owners in the area of employment law with the introduction of statutory sick pay, minimum wage increase and a new public holiday. Further state-imposed increases in employment costs, the phased introduction of the living wage and other leave proposals already announced are forecasted to add around 2.8% to the total wage bill in the economy in the coming years. Well, there you go. And if last year was a challenge for small firms because of uh, the minimum wage next year could prove to be an even greater challenge with more uh, increases expected to be announced today. Uh, Thanks uh, to uh, Deirdre who's uh, been in touch 
saying that uh, something needs to be done uh, to look after pensioners and people on disability allowance because the price of everything is going up. If only they could put a cap on it. Sean Healy was right saying uh, that there should be a €25 euro increase for pensioners and for people on disability allowance. Thank you indeed, Deirdre, for your message as always. Uh, there'll be a lot of interest, no doubt, uh, in, in what uh, will be done for pensioners uh, today, but also a lot of interest in what will be done for young people. Underinvestment in the post-crash years exposed significant cracks in the state's infrastructure uh, to support people living in Ireland, especially young people. This is most evident in housing and other areas like public transport, despite additional investment in recent years, but also in community-based facilities where young people have opportunities to develop. The need for capital investment in youth work organisations is referenced in the National Development Plan, um, but capital funding for them is currently piecemeal in practice and does not support the sector to provide the bricks and mortar community infrastructure required to continue to deliver the outsized impact it has on young people in, in improving outcomes and skills development for careers and education, health and well-being, social cohesion and, and personal growth, growth and development. And without additional current funding uh, to support it through the cost of living crisis and a recruitment and retention crisis, it will be very difficult uh, to, to, to really see that growth. Likewise, despite the positive news of low youth unemployment and uh, young people not in education or training, it is evident many young people feel they are getting a tougher deal than previous generations. And the, the, the Taoiseach mentioned earlier the, the intergeneral, intergenerational divide we're seeing with evidence around falling real wages for young people, crippling accommodation costs and lack of availability, leading to disillusionment for many. Our own uh, research and survey last year of 18 to 24 year olds showed that seven in 10 young people uh, said they were considering emigrating for a better quality of life uh, in another country. That compares to one in two in 2012 when we were in the teeth of a recession. Right, that's a frightening statistic, isn't it, uh, to think of losing so many young people. Uh, that, by the way, Paul Gordon of uh, the National Youth Council of Ireland. Uh, and we'll conclude with housing and construction. Uh, this is Tom Parlin of the CFI. We have practically full employment now. Uh, we're awash with money even though you're reluctant to, to admit that any time. We do have a lot of money, but we still have major, major capacity constraints within government. And the two big ones I would refer to are about planning and procurement. And I think this has come up several times. The timelines for our planning are just not on anymore, uh, whether it be residential infrastructure, foreign direct investment. Uh, you know, I think a lot of big players outside of the country are not prepared to wait and wait and take the chance of putting up their money and waiting for a result. Uh, when you get through the first process, there's always objections and then eventually you have to run the gauntlet of, of judicial review as well. So I know that there is a review planned by government, but I think the planning system needs massive resources in terms of new people. I know someone lately was comparing Board Planola with the central bank and comparing the scale. Uh, planning has become extremely contentious, extremely complicated, need a lot of new people and a lot of extra people in there. With regard to procurement, um, I believe the OGP need extra people as well. Uh, I think the fact that there isn't a meaningful price variation clause in public works contract is to the detriment of people uh, applying and tendering for projects. And, um, you know, there was a, a response from Deeper, but I would deem it to be grossly inadequate and extremely convoluted. And one of my members that worked hard to work through the system, and David beside you knows this well, uh, he said you'd need to be an actuary 
uh, to try and work it out for a very, very small return. All right, that's uh, Tom Parlin of uh, the Construction Federation of Ireland. Uh, I suppose listening to these speakers, it, it highlights the demands on government uh, today. Thanks to Mina, who's texting us saying, both myself and my husband have worked since we were 16 years of age. We paid so much in tax. Our mortgage interest rate is increasing all of the time. We still face the cost of living crisis like those on social welfare. In fact, when we pay all that we have to, we are worse off than those on social welfare. I know not everyone wants to be on social welfare, but there are a lot of people out there who have made a career out of it. Nothing as usual coming up for the worker, trying to raise two kids and pay bills. As the saying goes, it's a great little country. Thanks, Mina. I think and hope that there'll be uh, plenty in today's budget uh, from what we're hearing uh, for families uh, like yourself because uh, of changes uh, in taxation uh, and indeed what that will put in your pocket uh, as well as uh, the extra child benefit and the reduced cost of childcare. Uh, but all will be revealed at one o'clock today. Thanks very much indeed uh, for your message. 0419832000 is our telephone number. If you'd like to make comment, you can text a comment or WhatsApp it on 086 1800 658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now to the escalating crisis in the Middle East. Uh, the situation, as you know, is dire as uh, the Islamist militant Hamas movement issues a chilling threat to execute an Israeli captive for every Palestinian home bombed without warning. Meanwhile, Israel has called up an unprecedented 300,000 reservists and imposed a blockade on the Gaza Strip, raising concerns of a potential ground assault. The violence has already claimed more than 1,600 lives, prompting international declarations of support for Israel after a devastating weekend attack by Hamas. Calls for an end to the fighting and the protection of civilians are echoing across the globe. Israeli TV channels report that the death toll from the Hamas attack has now reached 900 Israelis, with thousands injured and dozens taken captive. Among the Israeli casualties are 260 mostly young people who were gunned down at a desert music festival where some were abducted and are being held hostage. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has vowed revenge. In a fiery speech, he's accused the Iran-backed mass of executing tied-up children and other unspeakable atrocities, declaring the vile enemy wanted war and it will get war. Let's speak to Matt Carthy, Sinn Féin TD for Kevin Monaghan. He's his party spokesperson on foreign affairs and defence. A very good morning to you, Matt Carthy, and thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, it, it looks as though this is going to be a bloodbath, doesn't it? Good morning, Michael. Yes, unfortunately and tragically is the answer. And of course, um, the people who will pay the price are ordinary civilians, um, in Israel, but predominantly within Palestine and particularly within Gaza. Um, I think it's important to say that there's no justification for the killings of civilians on any side. All acts of violence have to end immediately. And we need to return this entire discourse to the fact that international law must finally be respected and enforced, something that hasn't happened unfortunately for decades now um, what happened on Saturday was that Hamas breached and broke international law with devastating consequences 
But Israel has been breaching international law virtually every single day through their occupation, through their annexation, through the apartheid regime that they um, have um, been enforcing um, on the Palestinian people. And unfortunately, we haven't had an international response. And what we now need is an international intervention that actually brings about a lasting and just solution to the Palestinian um, question. And that solution and that peace between Palestinians and Israelis requires an end to the occupation and apartheid systems that are being imposed on the Palestinian people. Why do you think Hamas launched this uh, attack on Israel? It it would have seemed like a, a suicide wish. I, well, I, I can't try and get into the head of you know, Hamas. I do know that the, the the violence we saw by Hamas forces occurred against what has been a sustained intensification of the occupation um, in Gaza and in the West Bank. Israel has been intensifying its buildings of illegal um, settlements within the occupied territories. They have essentially made it impossible for any form of Palestinian government to operate. They have refused to allow um, uh, any recognition of the state of Palestine. They have refused to, um, to to adhere to the most basic of fundamental rights. And of course, none of that is to justify what happened in terms of the concert and the taking of lives of civilians on Saturday, but it is to contextualise it. Um, And we have seen in the aftermath of what happened on Saturday, um, you know, the the instinct of Israeli government and the Israeli forces, which is to essentially lay siege to an area the size of County Loud, which is um, home to two million people, which has been under blockade since 2007. And with all of these things, unfortunately, unless a peaceful democratic route to resolving the conflict is put in place, well then, unfortunately, in many instances, violence will, will fill the vacuum. And if we look back to peaceful interventions in 2010, international civic society and peace um, groups tried to organise a flotilla of aid to to Gaza, including humanitarian aid, food and Mm. supplies. The response by the Israeli government at that time was to murder 10 people who were on board those um, ships. In 2018, just a few short years ago, there was a peaceful demonstration organised by Palestinians in Gaza where thousands of them marched uh, alongside the barriers that have been put in place between Gaza and Israel. The response from the Israeli forces was to murder 200 of them. Um, So it is in that context that we have seen um, the uh, horrific sights of last Saturday. But what we will now see, in my view, as a result largely because of the carte blanche that international leaders have now given Israel to, as they call it, defend themselves, what we are going to see is the mass slaughter of innocent Gazans and Palestinians. But uh, how many Palestinian lives will be lost as a a result of uh, the actions of Hamas? And what is your view on Hamas today? The last time I spoke to you was when the Tarnishta was in Israel and he was being asked... What if there was a Sinn Féin government in Ireland and if there is any political party in the world that hates Israel more than Sinn Féin? Uh, During that conversation, you said that talks need to take place and negotiations should happen with everyone, including Hamas. Does that continue to be your position? Well, no, well, what I was speaking in terms of what Sinn Féin and government would do, and clearly we recognise that the, the route out of conflict is through talking to everybody, including people you have fundamental 
this uh, disagreement. Hamas didn't come out of spring air. <laughs> you know, um, Hamas is in many respects uh, the product of the occupation that we have seen and that's in no way to defend the actions of Hamas because I wouldn't even try and do that but if we look at the other side of Gaza in terms of the West Bank there is a Palestinian authority in place there that doesn't comprise of Hamas which would be considered bitter enemies of Hamas their job um, is made virtually impossible as an authority because of the expansion of the settlements, because of the actions of Israel, um, because of the ongoing, uh, uh, ongoing apartheid regime that is in place there. If that Palestinian authority falls, I would have huge concerns as to who and what type of organisation might, uh, um, might replace them. But we're in a situation where it's, that is evidently possible because of the actions of Israel. And what we need to do with all of this is bring this back, as I said, to international law, to unconditional adherence to international law and the UN Charter, something that you will not hear from any apologist from Israel that has been on our airwaves over the past number of days. Because if we go back to an adherence to international law and the UN Charter, then what we will see is that um, the, the roadmap to a durable and and just solution to the Palestinian um, question. But what's required in order for that to happen is rigorous, impartial international leadership. And that means that institutions like the European Union don't take sides, that we actually facilitate... Well, we have uh, taken um, sides. Uh, The statement from the European Union is that the EU stands in solidarity with Israel, which has the right to defend itself in line with international law in the face of such violent and indiscriminate attacks. Uh, It's unequivocal support for Israel, isn't it? Uh, And that statement was made despite an unsuccessful attempt by Ireland, Denmark and Luxembourg to include in the statement a a call uh, to avoid an escalation in violence. And I think the language that has been used by some EU leaders, Ursula von der Leyen among them, has been deeply unhelpful. And I think in some instances cynical. We saw one European commissioner um, unilaterally announcing that um, the EU would suspend um, development aid to Palestine, you know, an, an utterly cynical um, move, um, which is in stark contrast to the fact that Israel enjoys preferential treatment across the board, particularly in trade and relationships, which is worth billions of euros to a state that actually breaches international law every single day. And if we don't stand up for international law when it comes to Israel, the difficulty is that the European Union and institutions that turn a blind eye to those um, breaches of international law in one region have no moral authority to lecture in other parts of the world. And therefore, the ability of the European Union and of European governments to actually play a positive and constructive role in terms of conflict resolution across the um, the world becomes more difficult and unfortunately we've seen um, you know, in various parts of the world over the past year or more you know, conflicts breaking out um, authoritarian regimes we've seen invasions, we've mm. seen occupations and in all instances the ability of western leaders in particular to point fingers and to call out those type of actions is made more difficult because all the while they are backing and supporting a regime but- that is enforcing decades long Mm. um, blockades, annexations, Mm. and now today are carpet bombing apartment blocks in the Gaza Strip as As, some form of defence. But I don't buy that, I have to say. But as a result of the atrocities, it's retaliation for what Hamas did on Saturday. Would you consider Hamas to be a terrorist organisation? 
Yes, and nobody has been anything but um, unequivocal in condemning um, the taking of civilian lives. What Hamas did, particularly in relation to the uh, to the concert and to mm-hmm. other um, acts um, uh, uh, in s- South Israel, is you know, is indefensible. Mm. But n- so too, I would argue, is the carpet bombing of apartment blocks mm. in a place that is under literal siege. The Israeli defence minister. What about the people? Hmm. Uh, I Sorry? mean, we hear Antonio Guterres uh, called for uh, some sort of level heads uh, because people are just uh, really uh, being left in uh, what is unthinkable. This siege, as you say, with no electricity, food, water, or fuel coming into Gaza and bombs falling from overhead. I mean, there's very little hope for anybody. There is going to be no hope, I I would fear, unless we see the type of international response that is required. We know when it comes to huge, crass injustices, whether it be the apartheid regime in South Africa or anywhere else, unless and until the international community says stop, then it doesn't stop. So we have to, uh, to recognise that the international community has a very important role to play here and unfortunately has, hasn't been playing that role. In fact, it has been turning a blind eye to the situation. And you know, it, the, the media coverage we've seen since Saturday is absolutely understandable. But I would argue that we should have seen the same level of media coverage when Israel, in just in the summer months, actually invaded a refugee camp. It made refugees out of refugees. There are a litany of thousands of examples that can be given of Israeli um, forces systematically terrorising, to use that phrase of words, um, entire communities within, uh, within Palestine. And we know that um, the only way that we can actually have a successful peace process, just like we had in, in Ireland, is when international leaders take a hands-on, proactive approach that is based on international law, UN Charter, and the need for dialogue. OK, what's happening is appalling. Uh, is there the prospect of uh, broadening and worsening? Yes, I think what what I think Israel has taken the natural words of solidarity that have been issued to it from right across the world following Saturday's attack. I think they have taken them as a carte blanche to do whatever is required as they see it, and in in, in and history shows us that there will be no regard for human rights, for international law, for fundamental um, um, rule of law um, to uh, um, to guide them in any way whatsoever. And what that will mean, I fear, is that we will see thousands of Palestinians being brutally slaughtered over the next number of um, days, weeks and months, unless, as I say, and this is the caveat, unless the international um, community takes action. And I just want to say, I have to, um, to say this, I think at an Irish level, there is broadly a political consensus. And um, we don't agree on all the nuances. We don't agree in terms of how proactive we have been. But Irish governments traditionally, in line with the views of the Irish people, have been very constructive in terms of dealing with these issues, have been rightfully 
calling out the annexation and the occupation of Palestinian territories and the need for the adherence of international law and the UN Charter. Unfortunately, we're in a minority within the EU and Western governments, but we're in, a, in the vast majority of humanity who are calling it for action in this regard. And I think we need to intensify our efforts because I do think Ireland can play a positive and constructive role in bringing the international community to a place where it's actually playing a role for peace as opposed to exacerbating the conflict. Matt, we'll leave it there and thank you very much indeed for joining us on the programme. That's uh, Matt Carthy, who is Sinn Féin's spokesperson on Foreign Affairs and Defence and a TD for Kevin Monaghan. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as you know, today is World Mental Health Day and as uh, you've uh, been hearing, uh, where's Mental Health Week got underway yesterday and we'll run up to the 15th of October. As part of that, there's a campaign to raise awareness about depression and to understand the course of uh, depression across uh, a lifespan. Let's hear a, a little bit more about this now. We're joined by Dr. Susan Brannock, who's Clinical Director at AWARE. And uh, a very good morning to you, Susan, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, depression, you say, is something that can affect any one of us. Uh, what is it? Uh, can you define it uh, and explain to us uh, the difference between being down in the dumps and being clinically depressed? Mm, Yeah, it's a good question because what depression is is probably going to be different for different people, but there are certainly central themes in it. So as you say, what is the difference between being clinically depressed and feeling the the day-to-day or week-to-week mood changes? So we'll all feel low at times. We all might be down in the dumps based on maybe what's happening in our lives or, or what's going on. So... I suppose when we're thinking about clinical depression, there's certain areas that we can narrow in on. So the first is obviously feeling sad, feeling depressed. And I suppose the key thing here is that's a feeling that can persist for for longer than a day, longer than a week. So you're looking at a few weeks or months of feeling quite low, of feeling hopeless, of feeling very negative about yourself, feeling a lot of shame and guilt. So depression isn't always just feeling sad. It might be also feeling irritable or angry a lot of the time. So there's the the emotional part of it, but there's in combination with the, I suppose, the ways of thinking that might be happening in depression. So as I was saying, sort of having a very negative view of yourself, Mm. maybe kind of giving out to yourself, judging yourself a lot for things, having a very negative view of the future, maybe that's linked to feeling hopeless. Um, So certainly we notice in clinical depression there's a change in how people are thinking. And those changes in kind of how you think and how you feel can then lead you to do different things. So certainly we know that people can withdraw they can isolate themselves because life doesn't feel as enjoyable it's hard to get enjoyment it's hard to get the energy to do things that might matter or have meaning to you so people tend to stand back or or do less and then when we end up doing less or less of the things that have meaning or value our mood is going to inevitably get get lower so Mm. there can be cycles that can happen uh, in that so I suppose it's it's important to kind of, as we're saying, what is depression? When you're noticing those changes in yourself or feeling that way, it's important to, I suppose, maybe firstly to check in with yourself and how you're doing and then maybe around seeking help as well. well. So I was just going to ask yes. you, is it an illness that requires treatment? Well, I guess it's a condition that 
will people will have different uh, pathways with it. So for some people, medication can be really beneficial. For many people, psychological talking therapy, something like CBT, so cognitive behavioural therapy, can be really useful. In AWARE, we run peer support groups uh, where people can connect around feelings of depression. Um, and share experiences and things that have helped. We also run education programs that are kind of guided self-help, basically, that people can do online for eight weeks that look at ways of understanding what depression is and how you can make changes. And those programs are are registering now, and they're supported by a volunteer as well. So you do the work at home by yourself, but you have someone who checks in with you every week. So there's different ranges of support that are going to be different for different people. I would really advocate that if people are, are kind of wondering... Or, or maybe the first protocol is, is, is that sort of GP point or even just, as I said, checking in with yourself. Is this, is this going, going on a long time? Am I not doing the things that I used to be doing? Am I not enjoying life? Am I feeling very hard to get up and get going? Those mm. sort of things might be indications that things aren't, aren't well. And, and you're not weird uh, if you suffer from depression. Uh, in fact, you found three in five people uh, say that they've suffered from depression at some time in their life. Mm, absolutely. You're certainly not weird and you're not alone in it. Um, what we, I guess what people who, who can feel depressed can feel very alone and feel like it's only them who suffer in this way. And people's suffering is different, of course. But what we find is that when we do uh, speak out that other people might have similar experiences. So that's why it's really important to, to connect you know, to, to make that make that connection so you, you're not alone. Uh, depression, anxiety, these are really, really common conditions. And I suppose what we're looking at in the Aware Mental Health Week, looking at mental health across the lifespan, are the sort of things that can influence our mental health. Mm. You know, so housing, finances, relationships, work, all of those things are going to have an impact. Um, tomorrow we're running a webinar at 12 o'clock about looking at mental health across the lifespan. So looking at the different factors that can be relevant at those different stages. So there's a lot of information out there so I'd really encourage people to, to have a look if they are kind of uncertain around it mm, that you're webinar, certainly, not a, certainly not alone okay yeah. and that's at 12 o'clock uh, tomorrow and it's free to attend uh, if, uh, free to attend and mm-hmm. uh, yeah and if the, and if, you, if someone isn't able to see it at 12 you can certainly sign up and you can get the recorded um, version after watch it on YouTube and we have a lot of information on our website as well so I guess if these questions even if you're wondering what is depression am I depressed mm. it's a good place to start to find out that more information try to map it onto your own experience and that's aware.ie Okay, or is somebody else uh, depressed, maybe somebody close to you because uh, I think at times uh, other people are are quicker to Mm. recognise the symptoms in somebody than somebody is themselves. Yeah, exactly. So you can sort of see maybe with someone that you care about very much, can't you, if they are kind of pulling back from things or if they're feeling like they're not they're not getting that enjoyment or they're changing in some ways. And it may not be depression. I guess the first protocol is maybe to have a conversation. Maybe I've noticed that, that things seem a bit difficult or are wondering how you're doing. So maybe it's not not putting a label on it, but maybe it's just check, checking in with the person. And I suppose if the person observing wants that more information, as I said, aware or, or their own GP as well. There is a lot of information available. Mm. Uh, and uh, because uh, it's uh, talked about so openly, at least so openly in comparison to the way it, it was many years mm. ago, uh, I think uh, we're aware of an awful lot more people uh, who have uh, problems and are suffering from depression and who are looking for help and uh, so on. Uh, but what about children? Uh, uh, is that a new phenomenon or were, was there always depression in children? 
Well, I guess there's always going to be mental health is, is going to be relevant for children, for young adults, teenagers. That's, I guess, there's, so that's not new. I suppose we're living in a very different world now, maybe to what we were. As you say, we've come a long way in terms of talking about mental health and also talking about what promotes good mental health. So we're maybe a lot more aware about sleep and diet and exercise and connection. So those things really matter. I guess the, the theme of the World Mental Health Day today is uh, mental health is a universal human right. I guess that's quite important thinking about this on budget day as well, you know, that everyone has the right to access quality mental health care. And certainly in terms of children, the earlier the better is key in terms of, of, of kind of improving kind of experiences there. So I suppose there's, there's something we're in aware are one part of the, the picture for mental health service provision there's also kind of HSE services and there's a, there's a need to fund them adequately so that that need can be met across mm. the country okay well there's a, a lot of advice if uh, people are wondering uh, what to do next at uh, the aware website aware.ie and uh, that webinar tomorrow at 12 o'clock on aware.ie as well if uh, people look through the website they'll find the appropriate slot Susan nice to talk to you and thank you for taking the time to speak to us this morning that's uh, Dr. Susan Brannock, who's uh, the clinical director at AWARE. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Fine now, as is usual around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a, a number of incidents uh, which Gardaí are investigating and hopefully you can assist with uh, those investigations. We're joined for the report this week by Garda Adele Dugdale in Trim Garda Station. And a very good morning to you, Garda, and thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, we're going to begin with an appeal for information following a fatal road traffic collision. Yeah, Michael, so Gardaí and Dundalk are seeking the assistance of the listeners in relation to a fatal road traffic collision in which a pedestrian unfortunately was struck by a vehicle. And this incident occurred on Sunday the 8th of October, just gone at 2.30am on the M1 Dunmahan area of Dundalk. So we would like to speak to anyone who may have come across the pedestrian at or before this time. And if you have any information or dash cam footage, to please contact Dundalk Garda Station on 042 9388400. Next to Slane, where Gardaí are investigating a burglary. Yes, yeah, so this burglary occurred on Wednesday, the 4th of October, at around 8:25 p.m. in the area of Slane, known as Ballerini Cross. A home was entered by two intruders and left towards the N2. And we're asking anyone again who may have information or win the area at the time and noticed anything t- suspicious to please contact Nav and Garda Station on 046. 9079930. There's a, a second burglary to report on uh, this week, one that occurred in Dunleer. Yeah, so Michael, this occurred on the same date, the 4th of October, but this time at 9.15pm. Um, this occurred on the School Lane Road area in Dunleer, and it was reported that two persons wearing dark clothing were in the area when they, uh, when they were observed acting suspiciously, and a witness um, let out a shout at them, and the two persons fled the scene. So following this, Gardaí attended the scene and noticed that a premises had actually been broken into. So if anybody was in the area and, not- and noticed anything of importance or suspicious, we ask you to contact Dundalk Garda Station on 042 938 All right. Uh, a word of caution for our listeners next uh, who may be receiving emails and uh, to be very careful because there's another scam going around. Yeah, unfortunately, we've received a number of reports um, from members of the public stating that they have received an email scam, this time from Angarda Siakona, which outlines that the individual 
could be prosecuted in relation to investigations into child pornography. So Gardy wished to remind the public that Angarda Shikana does not and will not make contact with any person via this mode. Okay, so if you get a, an email from Angarda Shikana about child pornography or anything else for that matter, it has not come from uh, the Gardaí. Uh, we were talking about World Mental Health Day a, a moment ago and there's a, a special message for our listeners from Angarda Shikana. Yeah, so obviously today is World Mental Health Day, so we're just trying to raise awareness about this issue. Apologies, if a person um, feels the need that they are struggling with their mental health, we urge them to seek medical advice from obviously their GP. But on a side note to note that Angarda Shikon is a safe space and, and their local station, Kells, um, Enfield, Trim, Beliver, anywhere in those areas are um, open 24 hours, Trim, Navin, Kells. Um, and please contact us if you need us. Okay, thank you indeed. Garda Adele Dugdale of Trim Garda Station and we'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now before we leave you today let me bring you some more of uh, the thoughts and comments of people who've uh, been good enough to make contact with us uh, this morning. We had a a text from Jack who says the problem in the Middle East is uh, that from day one Israel has been at war all of the time. They're surrounded by states who do not want them there and Matt Carthy and Sinn Féin will soon change their stance if uh, they get into power. Uh, we had another message from Pat in Balbriggan who says Morning Michael, regards to the war in the Middle East, two questions I'd love answered. One is where is Hamas? Uh, and the second is getting, uh, or where are where is Hamas getting the millions of euro to buy these uh, highly sophisticated weapons uh, that they're constantly firing into Israel? Uh, and secondly, uh, who is supplying these weapons for what real purpose? Well, I think uh, they're backed by Iran, and that seems uh, to be where the uh, weapons are, are coming from. Uh, from what I've been hearing, the reports I've been reading, uh, Pat. Thanks for that, uh, Bridie thank you as well Brady in touch with us uh, before the government announces uh, that there'll be 12 euro increase in uh, welfare payments uh, this year Brady says Mike I am delighted to get another 12 euro to put to my Christmas fund you'll never satisfy everyone if it was 25 euro some people would still want more uh, I say take it and enjoy it well thank you indeed for that Brady Betty Daly texting us today too and she says hi Michael God help anyone who has real depression but how many people have body dysmorphia or other issues who just want Want to be on the bandwagon and be the same as everyone else you have to have uh, I'm not sure what it is uh, but uh, you have to have some sort of problem to be normal now Betty says thanks uh, for that uh, Mary in touch with us about the budget as well a WhatsApp message from Mary and she says Michael I agree with a, a lot of the comments made this morning sadly there are people who don't want to work I, I don't come from there unfortunately my daughter has severe brain damage needs 24 hour care I had to give up work outside of the home which uh, if I could I'd gladly swap uh, to have my daughter's health uh, and uh, the work of carers so tell me Michael why in the name of God do the government means test a meagre carers allowance haven't we enough on our, our plate with such little sleep then asking us to root out 
bank statements uh, and all of uh, the bureaucracy that goes with uh, applying for the carers, carers allowance. Surely a, a doctor's primary cert for a disabled person is enough proof. Shocking what's being done to us, says Mary. Well, thank you indeed, Mary, uh, for your text uh, as well to the programme today. Uh, and at one o'clock today, uh, we'll, of course, have uh, the budget uh, announced officially, a lot of it already known, but uh, we'll be going through what uh, Ministers McGrath and Dunahoo have in store for us later uh, on tomorrow's programme. Indeed, we'll have wall-to-wall coverage and we'll be hoping to hear from you then uh, as well. Uh, and uh, that will be uh, from nine o'clock uh, tomorrow morning. As I say, the government will be uh, making its uh, intentions known at one o'clock uh, this afternoon. But we've been hearing from uh, a number of uh, people throughout uh, the course of uh, the morning Uh, Not just uh, the listeners who've been concerned about what's being paid in welfare, but also from some of those groups who've been advocating for different sectors of society and what they had to say at the National Economic Dialogue. So let's hear from the unemployed now. This is Breed O'Brien. I think it's really important that we address the inadequacies of social welfare rates, which the cost of living crisis has exacerbated. We really do need to support people to be able to meet a minimal essential standard of living. We also, if we are to ensure that by 2030, we have a sustainable economy and society, that we have a public employment service that's accessible and inclusive of all, that we strive to have a labour market that really is inclusive of all, regardless of the person's ethnicity, their age, their family status, whether they have a disability or the duration of their unemployment. And to that end, I think it will be very useful that in our equality legislation, we finally include the ground of socioeconomic status. If some of the work that's taking place on equality budgeting and a wellness framework are to be meaningful, that ground needs to be, needs to be included in, in that legislation. It's really imperative. And then on the issue of lifelong learning, very often it is those who already have received, attained a certain level of educational status, work in employment where engaging in it is seen as good, people are supported to do so. What's really important is that we have a guidance framework in place that supports people who are old, who are adults, to figure out where do they go to get the best advice to be able to manage their own future and to be able to acquire the jobs of tomorrow so that people really can have a decent job. Breed O'Brien of the Irish National Organisation of the Unemployed. Let's hear from workers to conclude and own really a victim. If we're to make sure that the economy is sustainable and it's for all, it needs to be much more participative and workers need to have the opportunity and, and dare I say the right to play their full role and to, uh, I suppose, ensure that they have the opportunity to engage in collective bargaining in the workplace. Uh, the World Bank, the IMF, the OECD, NESC, a whole range of bodies see the connection between productivity and innovation uh, and collective bargaining. And I think it's really important that this government uh, starts to see that uh, as well. Um, because there's an opportunity here uh, that we haven't tapped into, but I would also say there's really an obligation because we have the new adequate minimum wages directive. It's, it's, it's really about collective bargaining as opposed to minimum wages. And it's going to require the, the state 
Some of the demands on government today all will be revealed at one o'clock. That's our programme for today, though. Maggie McGuire researched. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael, and God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am, right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie